It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 85 of the Night Talker. At 10.15, it is the first of a three-part conversation with stand-up comedian and podcaster Brian Callen, ahead of his headlining shows at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. And coming up in seconds, Steve Sarkeesian continues to speak with confidence about the upcoming football season, while Jerry Jones remains coy about actually doing what he promised and putting Jimmy Johnson in the Cowboys ring of honor. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Need to give a quick announcement before we get going with some of the relevant sports headlines from today. And that is something exciting that I am going to be a part of starting on Monday. Now, if you've listened to the show going back to its inception at the end of March, most Fridays, although we've taken a break over the last month and a half, you've heard Trey and BK Fridays on the Night Talker, which is a continuation of the show that Brad Kellner and I did on 104.9 The Horn, R.I.P., Way to get, get things going for one more day, guys. I've been told it's to allow for medical insurance for those who need it for an additional month. And if so, tip of the cap to that move. And uh, I'm thinking of you guys who are out of a job as of today as well. But BK and I did a midday show on 104.9 The Horn a couple years ago for a few years. And we are reviving... The Daily Show, once again in the middays, that is because uh, Brad Kellner has taken the initiative and myself and a couple of others have played key parts in getting a new YouTube channel going. It's a daily YouTube channel that will have live and recorded shows Monday through Friday as well as things happening on game days on Saturday and it's with BK and myself doing a midday show from 12 to 1. Bucky Godbolt and BK doing a morning show. I believe those hours were from 8 to 10. And then Kevin Dunn and I are going to be doing some things on this channel. Adam Wagner, who of course is here at 1027 ESPN now, is also going to take part in things throughout the course of weeks and more possible names to come. So what you need to know about that is go to YouTube right now and look for the Texas Sports Unfiltered channel. Go there, you see the uh, nifty graphics, State of Texas in the background, Texas Sports Unfiltered on a banner in the foreground. Click to subscribe there. And then I believe BK is doing something, uh, did something a little bit earlier tonight and may do uh, a couple more things throughout the course of this week. But things really get going on Monday with BK and Bucky Godbolt kicking it off at 8 o'clock in the morning, going 8 to 10. BK and I will be doing something from 12 to 1. I'm going to be in Colorado uh, all next week, but we still will be doing a show 12 to 1 next week, and then there will be some more special things added throughout the course of the week and in the coming weeks as well. So very excited about that. Wanted to make sure to get that out of the way first and foremost. Before we did talk about one of the... Primary topics at hand for the new YouTube channel. That will remain a primary topic for the Night Talker. And that is Longhorns coach Steve Sarkeesian. 
He has been speaking with a different level of confidence all offseason in talking about just how good he feels about where this roster is and what this team, his team, is capable of in the conference this year, which, of course, will be their final season in the Big 12. Steve Sarkeesian held a news conference earlier today, as a matter of fact. And he did say that while Big 12 teams might have revenge on their minds, considering it is the Longhorns' last season in the league, the Texas locker room is pretty locked in as well. Quote, I think this team is on a mission. They've taken this mindset of being on a mission. They kind of adopted the John Wick mentality, Sark said at a news conference. I think that they've kind of assumed this mentality of embrace the hate. We get it. We're University of Texas. We get it. This is our last year in the Big 12. We can sit there and be a punching bag, or we can go attack the people that we're going to play. And I think that they've assumed that responsibility to say, hey, we're going to go after everybody else too. I think that is the right mentality to have. And I completely agree with that. As a Longhorns fan who has watched way too many teams in the past wait for that first punch rather than being the aggressor, especially because you know the target is on our backs just any season, considering that we're the Longhorns and everybody loves to beat the Longhorns. Everybody considers us a rival, even if we only have a handful of those that we actually think of as rivals in return. But you need to start thinking of every game as a rivalry game, especially those conference games. Think Texas Tech is going to show you any love in that final game here in Austin? Going up to Waco one more time to start conference play? You think that's going to be a cakewalk? Absolutely not. I actually think Baylor's a sleeper team in the conference this year. But you look up and down the schedule, even though they do dodge Oklahoma State, which I'm a little bit disappointed about, but I also consider that to be a blessing too because Mike Gundy has been so good historically against the Longhorns and those two teams facing off against one another in the Big 12. Every team on the schedule, you need to treat as if they're going to give you their best punch. And if you can be the initiator, withstand that punch, you have enough talent up and down this roster to win most, if not all, of those games. Sark was also asked about Texas being picked by the media to finish first in the league. For the first time since 2009, the media decided this. And he did speak about the optimism around Austin and how he feels as if he has a deep roster capable of winning games in a variety of ways. Quote, there's definitely a lot of excitement. When you look at the season ticket sales in June, being sold out in June, over 68,000 season tickets. I know our student tickets are on a record pace right now of of what's to be sold. So I think there's a lot of excitement in the air. Now it's time to put in the work. So we'll see. I mean, I continue to love to hear the confidence coming from Steve Sarkeesian, but the proof is going to be in the pudding. Not expecting a difficult game in week one, but you take care of business in week one and you have that massive test in week two. With that rematch against the Alabama Crimson Tide, this time in Tuscaloosa, a game that Vegas actually has the Tide only favored by seven points in. I say, well, only seven. I mean, that's a touchdown difference right there. It is, but this is an Alabama team that has key pieces to replace 
all over the place on both sides of the ball, including, of course, their Heisman-winning starting quarterback, too. So I can't wait to see how the season plays out. Real quick before the commercial break, we do need to shift our attention to the pro football side of things. Because when Jerry Jones opened his mouth, you never know where he's going to go. And yesterday, Jerry was asked during a presser with media in Oxnard, California, where the Cowboys start training camp each and every year, when Jimmy Johnson might be inducted in the Dallas Cowboys Ring of Honor. It was something that Jerry himself announced almost two years ago, yet it hasn't happened yet, and there are are no visible plans as to when it's going to happen. This is via ESPN's Todd Archer. Quote, It's not about that. That being when Jerry's going to put Jimmy in the ring of honor. It's about who I am going to put in the ring of honor. We're going to be making those announcements as we go. We'll just let that go. I've eventually got a couple of coaches, in addition to Jimmy Johnson, that ought to be in the ring of honor. A couple coaches that ought to be in the ring of honor, in addition to Jimmy Johnson. I guess you could make the argument for Barry Switzer. I guess... But Barry has to understand how much of a gift that was for him. The roster that he inherited from Jimmy, of all people. But Jerry Jones continuing to remain coy about the guy who is most responsible for the Super Bowls in his possession. All right, coming up on the other side, I am excited to welcome Brian Callen back to the show. He is in town for some headlining shows at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. We'll talk stand-up and a whole lot more. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Brian Callen is a stand-up comedian, podcaster, and actor. You can find most of what he has done in those worlds through BrianCallen.com. That includes his most recent stand-up special, Man Tears, which came out about a year ago. Well, he's got a new hour now that he is bringing back to Austin. He's headlining at Cap City Comedy Club in the Domain this weekend. For more info and the tickets that remain for shows on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, go to CapCityComedy.com. Brian, thank you as always for the time. How you doing today, man? Look, I'm all shy. <laughs> you guys, I'm apologizing for my face. It's not symmetrical anymore, and I just have to get some work done. Trey, if I just get my face done, like, look at that, dude. That's Brian Callen as a young man. Who needs filters when you got plastic surgery, bro? That's right. All you, all you have to do is is pull your forehead back a little bit more. You'll you'll give you'll start giving off the reflection, so other people can really look at themselves anytime they think that they're yeah. looking at you. Well, you know, Nicole Kidman, I think, is my age, and she looks like she she hasn't aged. The fill, filler, filler, I guess, and like the technology that goes into making your face young gets better and better, but um, it's a slippery slope. So you just have to resign yourself to the fact that you're going to get uglier and uglier and less symmetrical as you get older. Of course, you, on the other hand, are a blonde Adonis, so congratulations. How many of those books behind you have you actually read? All of them. Really? Well, the excuse to get people like you uh, to talk to me is my ESPN radio show, which I'm happy to do that show, but the uh, Passion Project is Books on Pod, where I speak with authors, comedians, and filmmakers about their stories. So it started... Started out as a book-based deal, and I'm 350-some-odd episodes in at this point, and most of those have been with authors. That's so great. 
I have a similar podcast and I love doing it. And I did it for years and I'm going to start it back up September 1st. But uh, there's something really cool about talking to somebody who took the time to make an argument, which is what most books are about, right? Yeah. Like typically, you know, the theme of a book, I had some, heard somebody, uh, John Truby, a guy uh, in his book, The Anatomy of Story, described theme as the author's argument for how one should behave in the world. It's a great way to describe theme, right? Oh, interesting. Just, I hadn't thought about it like that before. Yeah, any good book is usually a rebuttal, an argument, you know, and then and then a solution for how to make it better. If, you know, it's a good book. But the other thing about great novels is that you make the villain's argument as seductive or more seductive than the hero's argument. And yet the hero triumphs. That's where you get literally the audience to say, man, my heart breaks for the villain. Or man, I understand the villain. Or I kind of want the villain to win. You know? I feel like... Television and movies have started doing that really well in the last 10 to 15 years where you find yourself drawn to the anti-hero. Yeah, that's what the, I think that's what the Sopranos got right. That was they were their first yep. ones to do it. You've got a mob boss who could order a hit and tell his kid to do his homework in the same breath <laughs> or order a hit and tell his kid not to use the F word in the house. You know, I mean, ain't that human? Ain't that human? I've gotten the same with the Bull Gravano, who is the Gambino underboss for the you know the, the most powerful crime family in the world, really in the, in the eighties and nineties. I've gotten to know him fairly well, but one of the things that Sammy will do is justify his philosophy of gangster lifestyle along moral grounds. Mm. I would never do this. I would do this. They broke the rules. If you break the rules, that you know the rules. That's what you get. It's an interesting thing. We all do that as human beings. Yeah. yeah, Best of with Brian Callen was really good in season one. I know it's been uh, a minute since an episode has come out. Do you have uh, plans for a season two for that show? I do. I've shot, I've shot two really good ones. Okay. I went to Philly, and I did a bunch of stuff in Philly, including I, I went to um, this amazing boxing gym. Because, you know, the, the, the Philly boxing legacy is just incredible. Bernard Hopkins and, and Joe Frazier and... I mean, you've got some of the greatest boxers of all time. And, um, you know, the Philly shell, which is that, that sort of thing that Floyd Mayweather uses and James Tony used and stuff. And, and even to an extent, uh, just, just recently with Bud Crawford, to an extent, a little bit. But, um, you know, I went, and, I went into one of those, I went into B-Hop's, Bernard Hopkins' old gym and, and moved around with some of the guys. And it was so, it's just like, I can't wait. And then I chopped the tree down with some lumberjacks in, in Portland. And so we, we have some good stuff coming down the pipe. I'm just waiting, though. I want to get more in the can before I release. In Portland, Oregon, was chopping a tree down much more difficult than you realized it would be? No, no. It's, it's, it's um, sadly, you can have a tree that's 300 years old and it's in a good lumberjack with a good chainsaw can chop that tree down in a minute. Huh. Isn't it crazy? how it takes 300 years to grow, you know, or it takes, let, let's take the ancient redwoods that have been standing there for, in some cases, a thousand to 2000 years, literally. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that by the rings. And there, there's a, there's, I think in the natural museum of history in, in New York, there is a massive, massive piece of a ring, sort of the, a piece of a redwood. That's so big. It's so big. dude. It's like, you could drive a car through it. Yeah. And, 
and the ring show like when it started in the beginning it's like this was this is like 3 bce before christ mm. and it was it, it, i mean you want to talk about everything every every creature every person everything to a tree like that is is an invader is a newcomer is a barbarian and it was chopped down by vandals in like 1975 vandals vandals like let's just kill this this tree that's been here for 2000 years that's as close to a sin as i can imagine but you know listen it is what it is well people don't realize people that have never been in that part of the country before and i have the benefit of having lived in south uh, southwestern oregon for a little bit more than a year and we actually took that trek that you're talking about Damn. where we were in Ashland all the way into Crescent City, California and drove through that tree. Like you can wow. tell people just how big those trees are, but you can't fully comprehend until you're actually in the middle of it and you realize just how microscopic you are on this planet. We take that for yeah. granted because we live places where everything is so easy and accessible, but in some place like that, you realize if you wander 100 yards in the wrong direction, you may be lost until you die. It's so true. And you know what that does? It fosters a different um, way of thinking. Uh, literally, the, 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 the inner geography of your brain is, is different. There's, it's impossible to walk around and feel like you are the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to walk around and feel like you're entitled or that you actually matter. I mean, it, it's probably the greatest cure for any, if anybody who was born with the condition of narcissism you know, back in the day, had to have been cured immediately when they walked through an old growth redwood forest that had been standing there for 2000 years, because it does not give a shit about you. And how are you going to how are you going to think you're even remotely important? Um, it's so interesting. It's like it's it's kind of a beautiful way of walking through what would be considered almost a natural church. Have you ever walked through, like, like if you ever walked through St. Peter's Cathedral, what the value of it is that it's one of the seven wonders of the world. Like it was built by human hands and it's impossible not to be awed by that. Yeah. It's impossible. It's impossible not to feel beautifully insignificant. And I, I just, I can't stand our culture sometimes because it's, it, it, it's the exact opposite. You're supposed to be important. I give a what you are doing, what your relationship is about. Like, I really care, you know? Well, you know, it's not, it, it, there's something amazing about that, but we've lost it. Trade-offs, trade-offs, trade-offs. You know, it's interesting you mentioned awe because I feel like that's becoming an underrated emotion in this day and age where we're supposed to understand everything with a snap of the fingers and we're not supposed to be amazed by stuff anymore but one of the joys of having kids i know you have a, a young son i've got an eight and six-year-old uh, daughter and son right now is to see all the different things that we take for granted that all them but it also reminds you the importance of putting yourself in positions to where you can still experience that emotion as well. Whether you're talking about Redwoods, I know you went to Israel this summer. I'm assuming that uh, you were awed once or twice while you were there too. Finding those things that still will just blow your mind like that. Yeah. the, the I've been thinking a lot about sort of um, the value of 
transcendent truth, the value of having a, a notion of the spiritual, a notion of something that goes beyond man, whether or not you can rationally prove it with your instruments is, is less important to me because even children and being awed by children can be explained away by science. Like you could say, well, we children have evolved to have big eyes and soft cheeks. And so we have this, this genetic trick that forces it, blah, 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 blah. Hmm. Uh, you know, and, and then you, you tend to, you tend to uh, quantify, you know, mathematically, even feelings like wonder and awe. And I, I think that misses the point of life. Yeah. I, I think that I think that you you need to be awed by the idea that there are things you will never understand, and that's the point. Certainly, the fact that you will suffer, that you will end, that you 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 that that whatever you work for has no permanence, including the very body you inhabit. And, oh, by the way, there's absolutely no proof that there's anything beyond this. I mean, measurable proof. And that, that's where I think awe comes in. And that's where I think the beautiful struggle, you know, kind of, you know, it comes about when it comes to, you know, the idea of there's got to be more than just, I don't know, status and power and money and attention and, and safety and even comfort. There's got to be something else, meaning. Maybe that's where it comes from, so... He is stand-up comedian, podcaster, and actor Brian Callen. Going to be here at Cap City Comedy Club. Headlining shows Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this weekend. Go to capcitycomedy.com for tickets and more info. Coming up, more with Brian on the other side. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Back with stand-up comedian, podcaster, and actor Brian Callen. He will be headlining at Cap City Comedy Club in the Domain this weekend. Shows Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for info and the tickets that remain. Go to CapCityComedy.com. Brian, we were just talking about the subject of awe, and I'm with you. Like, this is something that is really easy for kids, but as adults, we lose sight on the importance of being astounded by the world around us. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, the, the word awe. I'm a big fan of, the, of, of, of being awed. I'm a big fan of wonder. I like wonder. I'm a romantic. I'm a big fan of like kind of the idea of um, equating truth with beauty. Yeah, I think I'm that's so a- glad I'm talking about this stuff because this is a great advertisement for my shows at Cap City this weekend. Like I'm talking philosophically, not a funny little, not one funny utterance out of my face right now. Well, I th- but I swear to God, my new hour is very fun. Well, I feel like part of the reason why people like you and your comedy, Brian, is because they understand that there's a serious depth of character there. And while I know I could set you up for whatever punchlines you're going to be throwing out at Cap City this weekend, I like getting into those deeper discussions with people when they're willing to do so. And you're always a willing participant in that regard. As a matter of fact, the last time we spoke, it was right before you took part in the Minds Fest here in Austin at a venue that's not Cap City Comedy Club, so I won't mention it right now. And I was actually... No, it's a great venue. We can mention it. There's enough. I was talking to Rogan about this the other day. There's enough for everyone. And, yeah, and uh Vulcan Gas Company is a great, great place, as uh, is Mothership, as is Cap Cities. And I was talking to Joe. I mean, Joe Joe was like, let me know when your dates are. I'll, I'll retweet it for you. 
you know, he doesn't care. He know Joe doesn't have that famine thinking. We were talking about that. There's there's plenty of room in Austin for Cap Cities, Vulcan Gas Company, Brian Red Band's Club, uh, uh, and the Mothership. There's plenty of room for our, all of it. You know. Wait, is Red Band responsible for the uh, Sunstri- Sunset Strip Comedy Club? Is that his place? I, I'm not sure what it's called, but yeah, he's going to do something like he that. He does a lot there. Uh, Creek in the Cave is also here too, but yeah. at Cap City Space, as you know, because you performed there a year ago, that is a beautiful space. The old Cap City had its charm, and it was a great spot to see comedy, but it was also in a weird part of town and was getting run down over the years. What the Helium people have come in and done with that new Cap City space in the domain is nothing short of remarkable. Yeah, Mark Grossman, I love that guy. He's a good friend of mine, and he did he's done an amazing job. It's awesome. you got to come out to a show, dude. But the last time that you and I spoke, you were about to uh, take part in MindsFest at Vulcan, and I was sitting in the crowd when your roundtable was up there, and it was a really interesting conversation, including when Alex Jones decided to hijack things for about 45 minutes. I'm glad that somebody convinced him to finally get off the stage because nobody else was getting a word in edgewise once he got up there. Well, Alex cracks me up because Alex loves to paint the world in biblical, yeah. you know, in sort of biblical colors. You know, there's the there's the good and the evil, and the elites uh, are, are out to get you and take away your humanity and turn you into a robot. And if we don't fight, you know, <laughs> so it's a very. I read his book, and it's always that it's literally a biblical struggle between good and evil. And uh, anybody who's a Democrat or anybody who's a liberal is clearly also um, drinking baby blood. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's very effective he's very colorful he's a he's a he's a fun storyteller gets him himself gets himself in trouble but um i know it sounds unsexy but the world is a lot more nuanced than that and i think john stewart is a guy who's really good at capturing that nuance yeah i really like his new apple show and as a matter of fact with the whole covid thing he was one of the first public figures to ask about the Wuhan lab and uh, whether there was a connection to the uh, the bat coronavirus coming out of a place where there's a bat coronavirus lab. And of course, Stephen Colbert is trying to walk over, uh, walk all over his bit on the late show. But uh, that was a great example of John Stewart, the independent thinker, which is obviously on display for so many years with the daily show too. He's amazing. He's amazing. It takes courage. It takes courage to not be anchored to some, to an algorithm or an echo chamber. Uh, you know, it's really comfortable to be in an echo chamber, super comfortable just to say the things that that people around you already agree with. And that's a great way to get dumber and dumber. I love the Neil deGrasse Tyson quote. And I, it applies to me. It applies to me so, so well. I know enough to think I'm right, not enough to know I'm wrong. And I, mm-hmm. I am a, I am an absolute uh, candidate for that. You could you could tattoo that to my far ahead. And, um, you know, I love having my mind changed or, or, or better illuminated to other possibilities. You know, when they talk about systemic racism and all that, I always kind of like my hackles go up and I go, oh boy, here we go again. But let me tell you, John Stewart was talking about how when you are a, a black kid, for example, you don't get internships because you can't afford mm. to take an internship. You can't afford to not work for money. You just can't. Your family doesn't have the money and and you can't afford it. Now, you can blame whoever you want, but the fact of the matter is, if you and I were at black, we would be having a different conversation right now. We just would. We'd have very different ideas of how the world works. My guess is. It, it, whether that would be on the right or the left, it doesn't matter. I'm saying we'd have a different perspective. It, it would be impossible not to. 
And one of the things we'd probably do, and one of the things I know as a comic when I do stand up for a predominantly black crowd, if I start talking esoteric stuff that works with white Canadians, <laughs> it doesn't resonate the way, it, but if I start talking about practical real life, like rent, mortgage, bills, you know, that uh, 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 making my marriage work, raising kids, that stuff resonates with a lot of black folk, with a lot of uh, Latino folk, with a lot of white working class people, you know? Yeah, I'm know glad what- you mentioned the, the white working class too, because there's obviously a socioeconomic element that comes into play too. It's one of those things that Martin Luther King funny slash sadly enough, really started getting into as well as being super critical of the Vietnam War that ultimately got him killed too, where it became less a conversation about race and more of a conversation about those with the money and the power suppressing those that don't have either of those things. Well, yeah, but we have the dumbest, Gavin Newsom, and I'm, I'm really being serious about this. He's, he's, he might be the dumbest person to ever hold office. Gavin Newsom is such a dumb dumb, and he's also a weakling. And, and, and we have this Democratic supermajority in California, and they're all super dumb. And it's an example of what happens when you have only one group of this group think and how dumb they get. So they're pushing forward this reparations, which is hilarious because California's never had slaves, never had any slavery. Um, second of all, um, the, 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 we have a black mayor uh, on, on San Francisco and, and Los Angeles. We've got, I mean, the, the entire infrastructure is is. Black, so you couldn't even prove harm necessarily. Yes, yes, there are there are um, there were communities that were redlined. Yes, I know all that. I'm just saying that the reparations thing is hilarious. Now, now the task force, the reparations task force, that virtuous body, that virtuous body, who's going to make the world better uh, with Gavin Dum Dum Newsom, Gavin Weakling Newsom at the helm, is actually pushing a proposal in all seriousness that would take race into account when sentencing criminals. Mm. So someone with darker skin because of the legacy of racism and systemic racism and all that and, and inherent and uh, inherent disadvantages would get a lesser sentence than someone who's white for the same crime. Never mind that this white person might be just as poor, might have been sexually abused by their father or someone else, might have might might have a, a crippling anxiety, might have a lesion in their brain that causes them to be erratic. Whatever, it's all about melanin. Gavin Newsom, you dummy, and the people on the reparations board, this task force, have truly got to be. That really, their 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 brains are subpar. They're just dumb dumbs, and you know why they're dumb? Not probably because they have bad brains, but because they're ideologues. Because they've read only the things that confirm their bias, and it's just a good example of what not to be. Dummy, Gavin Newsom, the biggest weakling. He's such an embarrassment as a human being, and I know he knows that when he looks in the mirror. I know he does. I know when he looks in the mirror, he's so full of shame, he can barely handle himself. It's why whenever he talks, no one believes a word he says. He just, he's just talking points. I can finish that dumb, dumb sentence. I can finish the sentence. Hope he hears this, but he won't. 
do you really think that he feels shame when he looks in the mirror? Because I see somebody yeah. who's not who not only is his backstory completely hypocritical versus what he supposedly stands with, but he's a complete sociopath. And sociopaths don't tend to feel bad about the messed up shit that they do. I don't even think he's a sociopath. I know people that know him. I don't okay. think he's a sociopath. Okay. I think he's a dum-dum. I think he's a dum-dum, and I, I think he's a weak man. And I think it's impossible for him to resist uh, the the spoils of his position, the spoils of his bone structure, his fantastic hair, mm. his family, his connections, and the privilege it has put him in. It's really hard to step out of a very warm bath. It really is. It's very, very hard to step out of the sunshine and into the darkness of truth. He, he, he will have, I promise you, he will have his, his, you don't get away with it in life as a human being. You, you will face a crisis. Something will happen. You, 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 you will face the flood. I don't think he's a sociopath. I think he's a weak man who was, and maybe all of us, a lot of us would fall for this for a while. It's really hard to resist when you are born beautiful and you're born wealthy and you are, are wealthy and you have all these political opportunities and all you got to do is toe the line and say what you're supposed to say. That's really hard to resist. So I do sympathize with the temptations, the devil's temptations, but uh, the piper will be paid. The piper must be paid. When he looks in the mirror, he knows at the end of the day, he's not a brave man. He's not a significant man. He's, uh, he's a politician. Hard to disagree with that one. He is stand-up comedian, podcaster, and actor Brian Callen. Going to be here at Cap City Comedy Club in the Domain this weekend. Headlining shows in the big room on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Tickets and info at CapCityComedy.com. Coming up, one more segment with Brian on the other side. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. One final segment with stand-up comedian, podcaster, and actor Brian Callen. You can check out uh, the various things that he does in those worlds through BrianCallen.com, and he'll be here at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. Headlining shows in the big room Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Tickets and more info at CapCityComedy.com. And Brian, you dropped your most recent stand-up special, Man Tears, about 10 months ago, and uh, you are a reputable stand-up comedian, so I know that you've turned all that material over since then. How's the new hour going so far? Dude, it's going well. You know, it's it's all about it's. I, I I start with the things that bother me, like we've been talking about. I start with sort of like thinking about what I what I what keeps me up at night, what makes my heart beat quickly, and somehow it finds its way in in a funny form, mm. and it's always such a surprise and a delight. Because I went through writer's block. I was just like, dude, I can't write. I would find anything to do. I would like just a master procrastinator. And I was a nightmare to live with my poor wife. I'd just be like, I don't know. I suck. I'm a terrible person. I'm terrible. I'm, I'm a phony. I'm a fraud. I can't write. And then it just started happening. It just, I just, you got to sit quietly and wait till it happens. So I feel like the new hour is coming along really. I think it's coming along really well. I'm, I'm talking about things like God and, Hmm. and children and, um, you know, even how you how you negotiate the abortion space, all kinds of stuff that's really kind of taboo to talk about. But people love it because I'm just kind of like, I don't know, I'm figuring it out. I'm figuring out a funny way to do it. One of the cool things about 
about stand-up is if you do it long enough, you start to you forget how you even came up with these things. You're like, how the hell did that thing take form like that? You know? Yeah. It's so interesting. And and uh it does. It just does. It just does, man. How yeah. important is it when you're discussing taboo subjects on stage? Is it to try and hit both sides while you're doing so? Well, my feeling is if you're really honest, you probably will hit both sides. Mm. So all you have to do is tell the truth. Because what you'll do is you'll, you'll start something and you'll hear a moan or you'll hear a thing and you're like, oh, God, let's see if I can find my way through this. And then you do. And people, no matter who they are, I think there's something about the truth of, look, to be a human being, regardless of whether you're a conservative or a liberal a Catholic or an atheist, is to hold contradictory thoughts in your head at the same time. That's unavoidable. It's, it's to hold thoughts that make you feel good about yourself, bad about yourself. That's unavoidable. It's to hold doubt and certainty in your head at the same time. That's unavoidable. These are, these are what give human beings their, their flavor, their character. And I don't think anybody escapes that trap. You are flawed from the start and flawed to the finish. You're not going to have any of the answers. So when you raise questions, you know, and you, you kind of like when you talk about, for example, when if your mother was killed in a plane crash and the airline was to blame, like when you get that check and it's a big check, are you allowed for a second to celebrate? You know, that those are, those are weird questions, right? <laughs> it's a, it's a question. You know, money doesn't buy you happiness, but it'll buy you a different kind of sad. <laughs> sad in a one bedroom when you got to take the bus is not the same as sad on a yacht in Ibiza. It's just not, bro. It's just not. You're you're crying, but you're moving to the music on a boat. <laughs> Isn't that true, though? It's like, damn. Like, your mother died in a plane crash. I'm so sorry, but the airline's going to owe you a load of money, bro. And that's a bad thing to say. Oh. But when you get that check and you were attached to a happiness meter and there was some activity on the needle, it doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah, it does. It makes you a piece of shit, but it also makes you human. <laughs> Money's not supposed to take away the pain of losing your mother, but if it's a big enough check, we all have a number. We all have a number. We'd be like, damn, I'm sad, but woo, you know, <laughs> that, that's the kind of stuff. I, I feel like, like people would just got a taste of uh, what you're going to get at Cap City this weekend. Uh, so a yeah. couple more, yeah. qu- a couple more questions before I uh, bid you goodbye, Brian. Uh, I'm actually not going to be at the shows this weekend because my family is uh, heading back to Breckenridge Ridge, which uh, funny enough is where I spoke with you for the very first time last summer. But uh, it's going to be a great time. Go to CapCityComedy.com for tickets. You were in Israel earlier this summer, I think on vacation. Uh, how were you awed while in Israel? I think I was awed with the, with the notion that this sun-baked hill where apparently Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac and then stopped by God. The ultimate test. If you really believe in me, sacrifice your hard-won firstborn son that you had when you were 80 as a gift. I gave you a gift. Like it's, you know, and then I, I give you this gift. Your wife is 80, you're 80, and you, you, she conceives a son. Impossible. And yet I now say to you, kill him to show faith. And then you show me that you're faithful, right? That is where the Temple Mount is. That's where the, the, the mosque is. The Ottomans came in and raised that temple and built a mosque over it. And believe it or not, it's the most holy site for Jews. And they're not even allowed there. So, I, you know, Israel, 
Jews, Muslims, and Christians live there, and they get along as long as there's enough walls, razor wire, and machine guns to make sure that they all do. You know, it's it's a microcosm for what's wrong with the world, but also what's right with the world. Or maybe there's a miracle to it. It's like, why that mountain? Why there? Why a desert? with no water where it's impossible to live, where it's impossibly hot. Why is that the focal point? Why did Western civilization start there? It's so weird. And it all had to do not just with the Hebrews who had this, this Bible that had the, you know, you want to talk about a group of people who came along and they, they had a book that had the most flawed, their heroes are the most flawed people on the planet. King David himself, the king of the Jews, was seized Bathsheba, this beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop. And the guy goes, I got to have some of that. And he takes the guy's, his best general, she was married to the best, his best general, and puts him on a suicide mission. He dies so he can have sex with her. In fact, I think he had sex with her before that. And yet he's the king of the Jews. And God's, God was like, dude, you can't do that. So these stories, these incredibly flawed people, then you have a group of people, okay, so watch, so watch this now. So now, finally, at the end of the Old Testament, God says, I'm done with you Jews. I'm done with you guys. You don't listen to anything I say, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm turning my back. I'm, I'm never talking to you again. I'm out. That's how the book ends. And it's like, But he leaves the door a little bit open. Like, you know, if you guys, if you guys get it together, Maybe I'll give you a homeland, but, but, a promised land. But by the way, you can say goodbye to Jerusalem. You're done here. I'm letting the Assyrians come in, the Persians come in, the, 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 the Muslims come in, whoever, you know, the Turks. We'll see you later. And the 12 tribes of Israel are scattered throughout the earth, okay? And for 2,000 years more, they stay, they stay a community. Somehow, even though they're scattered all throughout the world, they somehow hold on to their identity, which is nuts, right? And, and along comes this radical rabbi who says, uh, hey, by the way, you Jews, you guys are too strict. Um, this, is, this isn't going to work. Um, just love your enemy. Turn your, turn your other cheek. Love, the, love your enemy. And, um, and, and to hold only one God as your God. And, uh, oh, by the way, I'm going to die now in the middle of my, at 33 years old. I'm going to die. Oh, they're going to torture me to death. I actually know what's going to happen. And oh, I forgive them. Oh, and by the way, hey. two two decades of my existence is going to completely disappear from the book. That, oh, yeah, they don't know uh, where he was. Love for me the most. It was like he started from 12 years old, and then we pick up when he's 30. And he didn't say that much in his lifetime that's written down, actually. It's more Paul and these other apostles. I think the only apostle that knew him was Mark, maybe, or Matthew, who was actually not Jewish. It doesn't matter. The point is, it's just, it's crazy when you think that somehow the narrative, this story has, has held its relevance and meaning and importance to enough people where that is still really the focal point of so many of our, of our consciousness. Jerusalem, this small walled city that's still being fought over physically and spiritually and philosophically it's crazy dude that's what that's what blows my mind
It just blows my mind. And what, what's the lesson? What's the lesson for all of us? Oh, you can do everything right. You can, do, you can be as good as Jesus Christ himself and die on a cross, you know, after being tortured. That's your thanks. See ya. But have faith. And people are like, dude, I found a lot of strength in that. That's kind of what awes me. The whole thing's a miracle. It's a miracle. Love that uh, answer. Yeah, I don't know. I lived in the Arab world for eight years of my life. You, you did? Know, Where did I you never... live? Saudi Arabia and Lebanon. Oh, wow. So I grew up around the Arabs, and I love the Arabs. I went to Jordan, by the way. I went to Jordan. I rode a, I rode a, I rode a Bedouin's horse in, the, in, the, in, in Petra across the rocks where no one goes. And I galloped. Do I belong on, a, on an Arab, on a Bedouin's horse galloping? No, I haven't ridden in 25 years, but somehow I figured it out. And it was, it was, it was, I felt like a badass and I wanted to get on video and I didn't because all I want to do is post on Instagram and t- show everybody what a ro- horseback rider I am. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm not, I can't, I, I'm literally, I have no idea how to control a horse. None. Even though I rode, I have no idea. He is one of my favorite uh, modern poets and philosophers, Brian Callen. Check him out uh, on YouTube, a great channel where you can see his stand-up specials. Best of with Brian Callen. Of course, Fighter and the Kid, which everybody knows about. And check him out at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. Uh, doing multiple shows this weekend. Go to CapCityComedy.com for info and to snag the tickets that remain. Brian, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for the time today. You're the best, buddy. Appreciate it. I'm doing Rogan's podcast on Thursday, too, so tune in. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We'll be back tomorrow at 10. That includes a conversation with Justin Wells of Inside Texas at 10.15. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night and sweet dreams. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling.